0: all right thank you john thank you samuel we'll get right into our presentation this evening because we uh, do have some uh, good material to cover here but uh, we'll try to get you out on time probably about half past eight so um, we're going to build in this second presentation on our first presentation we dealt with the fourth commandment the sabbath truth Uh, maybe this is like a bomb in your experience like a dynamite Uh, maybe a lot of new thoughts Uh, And I hope that this second presentation will will also further help you to understand the the connection of the Sabbath in end-time prophecy. It's very interesting. Um, I did want to mention something. I mentioned in my first uh, presentation that, you know, uh, some people will say, well, aren't the commandments nailed to the cross? And there's actually even an expression that Paul uses, nailed to the cross in Colossians chapter 2. But you've got to read that text very carefully because he's not talking about the commandments as the moral ten commandments. He's talking about the commandments of Moses, uh, the ceremonial commandments. that, and, and surely those were nailed to the cross. Those were done away with at the cross. Well, we don't sacrifice lambs anymore. We don't, circum, you know, we don't have circumcision as a sign between us and God. And, and all these ritual, traditional, Jewish things that pointed forward to the coming Messiah, they were fulfilled in the Messiah, and so they were nailed on the cross. But uh, oftentimes there's, there's a lot of confusion in Christianity today between the laws of Moses and the Ten Commandment laws. And sometimes they're, they're mixed up, and so they say, oh, all the laws were nailed to the cross, But that wouldn't make any sense because we wouldn't even know what sin was if we didn't have the Ten Commandments today, right? So I just wanted to clarify that. Um, And if you have more questions, please come to me after these presentations and uh, make sure you get the handouts where we are also going a little bit more into some of these uh, things. All right, well, in our second presentation, um, we're going to go back to a prophecy found in the book of Revelation, chapter 13, and uh, in our presentation yesterday we talked about revelation 13 this beast that comes up out of the sea and uh, what does a beast represent everyone do you remember a kingdom right a power a kingdom a nation and uh, john on the island of Patmos sees this beast coming up out of the sea in revelation 13 and we looked at the identification marks yesterday evening and if you weren't here yesterday you want to go back and, and you, know, when you want to listen to these presentations, we'll make them available on the website, and also you want to get the handouts, but we looked at all those identification marks of Revelation chapter 13, the first beast, and no doubt this was pointing to none other system than the Roman Catholic system. Um, here we have a religious system that is seeking to, to really uh, receive the worship of man and is putting itself in the very place of Christ himself. Uh, Remember that this beast in Revelation 13 is described as, you know, a leopard, a bear, a dragon, a lion, uh, really like this amalgamation of the different beasts that we read about in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, chapter 7, where we looked at these beasts, these kingdoms coming and falling, leading, leading us to the arrival of the Antichrist, the arrival of this Roman church power that basically said, okay, now we're going to unite the state with the church, and they reigned for this long period of time, even a period of 1260 years. We verified that in history, and also prophecy confirms this. From the year 538 all the way to the year 1798, this uh, church reigned, um, and um, the, the state was there to back up and to enforce everything that this church taught its doctrines and its traditions and millions of people lost their lives during this period merely for believing in the Bible and actually wanting to possess the Bible themselves and teach it. Uh, It was only there, it was only to be taught by the clergy and it was only available in the Latin language and when the reformers came on the scene like John Wycliffe, the morning star of the Reformation, he actually translated the, the Bible into the English language and uh, he really got in trouble for doing that, um, and the Roman Catholic Church sought to take his life. Even uh, many years after his uh, death, they actually, um, you know, they, they, they took up his bones and they burned them and just made sure that everyone would know that he was denounced a heretic uh, because of that act of translating the Bible. Now, that may sound absolutely strange for us today, but those were the circumstances during the what we call the Dark Ages or the Middle Ages uh, in the continent of Europe. and um, Prophecy really shows us the events around um, these, um, these times. Now Revelation 13 portrays then this first beast or this power that, that, um, that ruled for this period of 1260 years and then it describes that this power would receive what the Bible calls a deadly wound or it is also described here in verse 10 the following way. Uh, Revelation 13, verse 10, he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. So, Revelation 13, verse 1, the beast comes up out of the sea, and he does all these different things, all these different different things that are described in these verses, and then you come to verse 10, and then the Bible says that this power will go into captivity, And this is exactly what happened in the year 1798, when, again, um, uh, Napoleon sent his commander Brice Brice into the city of Rome. He he took the pope captive, and basically, he abolished the the, the, the unity between church and state. And so um, this happened in 1798. And the prophecy predicted that this church would reign and rule for 42 prophetic months or 1260 years, and this is exactly what we see took place. Now, the event that happens next, or the description that comes right after this verse, is quite fascinating. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 11, because um, I titled this message this evening, this second presentation, uh, Who is the Next Superpower?, And as we look at Revelation chapter 13, in Revelation chapter 13, there are two beasts. And so there are two nations or two powers that are on display here. The first one, the Roman Catholic Church, there in the first uh, verses of Revelation 13. But then when you come to verse 11, it talks about another beast coming up. And let's read together the description here. Revelation 13 verse 11, listen to what it says. Then I saw another beast, coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. So the first beast, remember we identified that one, Roman Catholic Church, ruled for 1260 years, goes into captivity, and right after that, in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 11, John the Revelator on the island of Patmos, he sees a second beast, another beast, But this beast does not come up out of the sea as the first beast, but it comes up out of the what? Out of the earth. And then it gives a little description of this beast It says he had two horns like a what? Like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. Can you just just get a mental picture of that? Little lamb, and you're going to go over, you're going to pat the lamb, dragon. Kind of an awkward moment. So, he sees this lamb-like beast, but this lamb-like speak, beast speaks like a dragon. Now, what does a beast represent, people? A kingdom or a nation or power, right? So, we, we got to look at what power does this represent? What power does this lamb-like beast represent? Well, we got to look at the characteristics of this beast. Here, a little animation of what it could look like. I don't know exactly what it looked like. These are just animations, but um, what, what could it... What, what, what power are we looking at here? What are the characteristics that we have? Well, let's, let's, let's line them up here. The first beast came up out of the sea. The second beast comes up out of the earth. Now, the Bible tells us that the sea represents multitudes of peoples and nations, In Revelation chapter 17 and verse 15, it talks about water being a representation of multitudes of people and nations and kindreds and tongues. So, if the first beast comes up out of the sea, it came up in a populated area. Are you with me? The second beast comes up out of the earth. The earth is the opposite of the sea, and so this nation is coming up in a scarcely populated area. Okay, that's the first identification mark. Now... The first beast had ten horns on its head, and the Bible tells us in Revelation 13, in the first verses there, that upon the horns there were crowns. And that's interesting because the church of Rome ruled over the kings of Europe. All the kings bowed down to the papacy. That's why the papacy had so much power during the Dark Ages, because all the kings said, we give you our authority, our armies are your armies. That's why they could persecute. That's why they had so much power. So the kings were with them. Now, this second beast has two horns, but there are no crowns on his head. So it is a nation without a king. Okay? Now, let's look at some more characteristics. The second beast is is a lamb-like beast. Now, the word lamb appears a number of times in the book of Revelation. It appears... 27 times in the book of Revelation. Now, listen to this. 26 of those 27 times, the word lamb is pointing to no other person than Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. But in one instance, this one, it does not point to Jesus Christ, but it points to a nation. Now, what do we know about that nation? It is a Christian nation. Are you with me? So, a nation that has Christ-like principles... A lamb-like nation coming up in a scarcely populated area, no king. And listen, this is also interesting. It comes up at a time that the uh, first beast goes into captivity. Now, the first beast ruled for how long? Do you remember? Twelve hundred six years. In which year did it go into captivity? 1798. So we're looking at a nation that comes up around 1798. It becomes more prominent around 1798, has no king has Christian principles, and is arising in a scarcely populated area. Any guesses? It's your nation. The United States of America fits all the identification marks of the second beast of Revelation 13. Very, very interesting. Now take notice that the United States, the mystery of her coming forth from vacancy like a silent seed we grew into an empire, it was really a gradual uh, building up of this new nation, this new continent, as many, that were, um, as, as, as many that were dissatisfied basically with, with what was going on in other parts of the world moved here to start something new where religious freedom could flourish. Uh, when you look at the very um, uh, principles upon which the United States was, was built, uh, republicanism says government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Those are the words of Abraham Lincoln. And Protestantism, this is an interesting example um, uh, Explanation of what it is, Protestantism sets the power of conscience above the magistrate and the authority of the word of God above the visible church. And so these were principles that you really also find in the Constitution of the United States of America. When you look at the Bill of Rights, for example, uh, if you look at Amendment 1 of the United States Constitution, it says Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And, of course, you all know this very well, the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, when the Bill of Rights was formed, when the Constitution of the United States was formed, they learned lessons from what went wrong in the old continent of Europe. <laughs> because they saw that the, the, the papacy that ruled and that was really a, a tyranny over the people, an oppressive power upon the people. When, 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 the United States was, when the Constitution was formed, it was very clear: no king, no pope. We're not going to make the same mistake here. No king, no pope. We want that everyone will be, will be create. Everyone is created equal, and everyone will have the the, the, the rights to believe what they want to believe. Right? This is really um, very clear in this uh, in these statements. Now. Revelation 13, 11, though, not only does it give us a picture here of the United States in its infancy, but it also gives us a picture of what is going to happen with this nation. I want to read again the description. Revelation chapter 13, verse 11. I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, had two horns like a lamb, but he... Sp-, what, 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 how does he speak? <laughs> he speaks like a dragon. Something unexpected, but a change would take place In this very nation. Now, Revelation 13 goes on to describe what that includes or what that involves. In Revelation chapter 13, it says, and he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. So, according to Bible prophecy, according to Bible prophecy, this great nation, the United States of America, that comes on the scene that has Christ like principles, a country of refuge for many, would yet change and become the very nation that would bring upon the, 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 the scenes of world's history again the first beast or the authority of the first beast. Quite a remarkable prophecy indeed. The language here, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. In other words, he would cause to come alive something that existed in the past. When we look at the past, what was it that gave power to the first beast? What gave power to the first beast was really that it had the authority of the kings of Europe behind it. You know, the church could say whatever it wanted to, but once the kings of Europe said, oh, we bow down to you. We do whatever you say. Our armies are your armies. That's when the church, uh, you know, extended its, or, or exerted its power and its authority, right? And prophecy reveals that what happened in the past is going to happen in the future. And this time, a mighty nation, the very nation, the United States, is going to enforce the very ways and teachings of the first beast a remarkable remarkable prophecy indeed a prophecy that seems to go against all odds because we think to ourselves isn't the united states the very nation where church and state are separated originally yes but the question is according to prophecy this is going to change and my friends it's already changing right before our very eyes and what one time was separated is actually coming back together again Yes, there are more similarities between these powers than mere architectural structure. It is interesting, in this book, The Keys of This Blood, written by Malachi Martin, which is a 1990 non-fiction apocalyptic book by a Catholic priest, Malachi Martin, he writes the following interesting observation. He talks about this three-way struggle for world dominion or globalization. And he talks about the struggle between capitalism, the West, Catholicism, the Papacy, and Communism, the Soviet Union. Now, we look at that last one and we say, "Well, that's not really a struggle anymore. Uh, Communism seems to be out of the picture. Um, Well, listen to what he says, the competition is about who will establish the first one world system of government that has ever existed in the society of nations. It is about who will hold and wield the dual power of authority and control over each of us as individuals and over all of us together as a community. Now, it is true that there are these players that are, in, that are, that are basically striving for, for, that, for that authority. Um, communism is really out of the picture, and it's interesting to note that communism was brought down partially by a holy alliance between the papacy and the United States of America. Uh, this is Time magazine, how Reagan and the Pope conspired um, to assist Poland's solidarity movement to hasten the demise of communism. These powers united to bring down communism very effectively. And of course, the question is, between now Catholicism and the United States of America, is there more going on between, behind the scenes? Well, prophecy uh, re- uh, reveals this, and even recent events show this to be the case. Um, I referred to this earlier. Uh, you might remember when John uh, Paul II uh, died, that the American presidents were right there now, kneeling down at his casket. The, the the unity between these powers uh, has increased uh, over the years. And also it's interesting to note that Catholicism is reaching out more and more to other uh, denominations and other um, faith groups. Uh, this is an interesting quote a, a, a newspaper ad here, uh, talking about Lutherans and Catholics and how they united. Uh, you know, and this was from a couple of years back. But it's interesting to see how Protestant denominations, like like the Lutheran State Church uh, in Europe, is running back to what they call the Mother Church, the Church of Rome. Now, uh, for if you've done any studies of history, or you're any bit aware of the work of Martin of uh, of, of Luther, Martin Luther, and how he basically. Um, gave birth to, to, the, to the Reformation. The Reformation was already going on, but he really uh, sparked, gave a spark to, to um, this movement within Europe. If you look at what he did, these things are now being made undone in recent years. I want you to take notice of this um, newspaper ad. Listen to what it says. Augsburg, Germany. 482 years ago, Sunday, the blunt-speaking monk, Martin Luther, nailed his legendary attack on, Catholic, on the Catholic Church practices to a church door in Germany. An act of conscience that triggered the Protestant Reformation, the wrenching division of Western Christianity, and more than a century of religious wars that killed hundreds of thousands. On Sunday, the heirs of that acrimony, and fracture, the leaders of the modern Lutheran and Roman Catholic churches signed a document that officially settles the central argument about the nature of faith that Luther provoked. The argument declares, in effect, that it was all a misunderstanding. This is the Joint Declaration of Doctrine and Justification was signed on the 31st of October, 1999, Reformation Day. So on the Reformation day, they signed the declaration, okay, the Lutheran church says, I am sorry, it was all a big mistake. How many lives did it cost for the truth of Scripture and the truth of God's Word to shine clearly in our world today? It it costed millions of lives, and yet what the Lutheran church is doing, along with many other churches, is just running back to the mother church. And and, and the Reformation is basically being made undone. Uh, This is um, talking about the uh, Anglicans and also them reuniting with the Mother Church, the Roman Catholic Church. Radical proposals to reunite Anglicans with the Roman Catholic Church under the leadership of the Pope are to be published this year. This is from 2007. The Times has learned the proposals have been agreed by senior bishops of both churches in a 42-page statement prepared by an international commission of both churches, Anglican and Roman Catholics are urged to explore how they, may, how they might reunite, not under the Bible, but under the Pope. You see what's going on? It's interesting. Bible prophecy is fulfilling before our very eyes. Hundreds of thousands of Anglicans from 13 countries are requesting full communion with the Catholic Church. The traditional Anglican communion, which represents traditional Anglicans, made the formal request in October. And my friends, since that time of just the recent years, I could share a lot of things with you of how this has just become more and more and more and more. Uh, You've probably heard about the ecumenical movement. The ecumenical movement is basically a coalition of of churches that come together and say, let's put away our differences, let's put away those things that we're not united on, and let's just, let's get all together, and let's just unite. But the problem is that you're not uniting on the foundation of scripture, but they're uniting under the church of Rome. And you see this over and over again in the ecumenical movements, that really it is coming back to the mother church of Rome. And this is exactly what prophecy predicted would take place. Not only would this take place, but eventually nations themselves, stately powers, would bow down to this system. And one of those stately powers is the very country in which we are right now, the United States of America, that started as a, on Christian principles, that was a place of refuge for many, but now... Speaks, is starting to speak more and more as a dragon. Now take notice, um, these uh, developments are taking place in Europe, but they're also taking place right here. Uh, Now in Europe, it's interesting to note that. and I think I shared this quote on the first night as well. It's interesting to note that Europe has always been um, struggling to unite. Ever, ever since the Roman Empire broke up, and you have all these different countries in Europe, it has always sought to come back together again. And uh, Adrian Hilton, in his book, The Principality and Power of Europe, makes this very interesting observation. He says, it is impossible to understand the current drive for European integration without viewing it in the context of previous attempts. Since the fall of the Roman Empire, numerous attempts to rebuild a unified Europe have failed. The vision of one empire under one emperor belonging to one church under one God has caused more bloodshed than anything in the history of the world. Somehow Europe has seemed doomed to oscillate between war and peace, between power and ignominy, uh, ignominy, uh, between order and chaos. It's interesting that he is pointing out here that... What has happened in the past, you know, there's always been this, 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 wanting, this, this wanting to bring it together under one government, one God. Now, when you look at the European Union today, surely the European Union started with the idea of, you know, open trade. You know, we're going to have economical benefits, and by the way, those benefits are, are hard to find. Uh, economic benefits, and then, and then you know there are more of, the, and then it's political alignment. But my friends, it's more than econo- economy and politics. It's eventually going to be religion. Let's unite under one God. Let's unite under one religion. And guess which religion that will be? Well, the Bible prophecy is quite clear. It's this beast power of Revelation 13, and all identification marks point to the Roman Catholic Church. And and these events are just coming together. This is going on in Europe. At the same time, we see this is taking place more and more in the United States of America, according to this very prophecy in Revelation 13. Eventually, the Bible says, and I saw one of his heads as as it had been mortally wounded, and and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So this is not just going to be something that happens in one nation or one continent, eventually the whole world will be united under this one power, this beast power of Revelation 13. Now listen to what is gonna happen. What is this beast then going to do? Once this Roman Catholic power is so exalted and, and really takes the, the, the primal seat of authority, which the Bible predicts is gonna happen, then, then what's gonna come out of that? Well listen very carefully, Revelation chapter 13, verse 15 and 16, and maybe before I read this, let me just say one thing, the Roman Catholic Church is one of the richest organizations upon planet Earth. So you might think, well, how can this happen, that little, you know, that little Vatican City, is that really gonna take over, you know, is that gonna, the Roman Catholic Church has so many assets, is so rich, and, and you know, the United States is struggling financially, right? And there's gonna be someone that comes in to help eventually. And that's exactly what prophecy is predicting these two are going to come together with all the other nations, and it's it's going to be one big unity. But the unity, my friends, again, it's not built upon the Scriptures. It's built upon the very traditions of man. And listen to what it says here in Revelation 13, verse 15 and 16. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand and on their foreheads. This is also what is referred to as the mark of the beast. Okay. The book of Revelation prophecy talks about the mark of the beast. Now, we have already identified the beast. So what is its mark? What is the mark of the beast? Now, there's been a lot of speculation about the mark of the beast. I have heard the most weirdest interpretations of this prophecy. It's a tattoo, it's 666, it's you know, six, six, six. yeah, that is the, the number of the beast, but it's not the mark. The number of the beast, the Bible says is 666, six, six, but, but that's something else. But here, you know, tattoos or, or, or chip or, or codes or barcodes or all these kind of things, there were people that said when, when first the barcodes came out, they said, okay, we're not gonna buy that because it's the mark of the beast. Well, they got pretty hungry after a while, so they ended up buying it anyway. So uh, there's all these weird, weird interpretations. And my friends, again, we need to be wise when we interpret Bible prophecy. We need to be responsible because so many times prophecy is being interpreted not by this book but by the latest newspaper ad right we look at the newspaper Ah, oh, this must and I, I get i get tons of emails because i travel all over the world preaching and teaching bible prophecy and so you know i built up a lot of context here and there and this and this and this and so i get just tons of emails and i get a lot of emails on bible prophecy but i can tell you that 90 percent of them are just wacko weird and they're talking about you know this has now come out and this is the mark of the beast my friends we must go and look at the what does the bible say about the mark of the beast amen not what we all think and, and, and imagine it to be, but what does actually the Bible say about the mark of the beast? Well, it says that the mark of the beast will be inflicted either in the forehead or on the hand. Now, go back in the Old Testament to understand what that means. By the way, let me say you this right now. Do you know that the book of Revelation, two-thirds of the book of Revelation is Old Testament terminology? In other words, language from the Old Testament, two-thirds of the book of Revelation is direct language from the Old Testament. And some people say, oh, I don't need to know the Old Testament. I just understand the book of Revelation. I look at the news, I look at this, and I make my own understanding. If it's quoted from the Old Testament, you better go back to the Old Testament to understand it. What do you say? So look at what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6 about this, this, this thing about the mark on the forehead and on the hand. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 to 8. And these words, and this is the Lord speaking here, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. God wanted his word to be in their hearts and then he says, I want them to be in your on your hands and in your minds. In other words, I want you to think about it and I want you to practice it. Being on your hand is really your action. Now, do you know what what happened? The Jews, some of the Jews, took this literal. And you know what they did? They took the scriptures, the Torah, and they bound it on their hands. And so they actually went around with scripture bound on their hands. There were others that took, they took these little, tiny little boxes and they wrapped it right around their head like this, and in it was the Torah, like some commandments. And they went around like that. Do you think that's what Jesus meant? (laughs) No, of course not. God was giving this command because he wanted those words not to be tied on their forehead, but in their mind and in their actions. Amen? That's exactly, this is symbolic language. The book of Revelation is symbolic language. And so that's exactly what the mark is all about. Uh, Remember Hebrews chapter 10, this fits right in with the new covenant of God. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 16, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Remember that is what God wants to do. Now, what is then the mark of the beast? The mark of the beast can really only be understood correctly when we understand what the seal of God is. Because there's a lot of talk about the mark of the beast today. Uh, you know. I, I've heard all these kind of weird interpretations, but you don't hear a lot of Christians talk about the seal of God. And actually, the mark of the beast is only a counterfeit of the seal of God. God has a seal. God has a purpose for you and for me, and that is his covenant that, he, that we just read about in Hebrews chapter 10. He wants to write his commandments in your forehead, on your hand, Right? As we read about in Deuteronomy, God wants his words to be in your mind and in your actions. Right? So God has a purpose. God has a plan. And so this beast comes along, and he's basically trying to counterfeit everything that Christ does, everything that God does. So he looks, oh, God has a seal. Oh, God puts his law in the people's minds. God, God allows the, the, this law to, to, to be in the actions of his people. He's empowering them to live in obedience. Wait a minute. I have my mark. I have my seal. Right? It's it's a counterfeit. We looked at this yesterday as well, how... Basically, Revelation 13 is just a whole counterfeit of Christ. You know, the beast comes up out of the water. Jesus was baptized, came up out of the water. You know, Jesus uh, ministered for 1260 days. This beast's power is is in power for 1260 prophetic days. Jesus receives a deadly wound on the cross. This beast receives a deadly wound. Jesus is resurrected. The deadly wound is healed. Jesus is worshipped. This power claims worship in all the world. It's a counterfeit. And so when you're thinking about the mark of the beast, it's again a counterfeit of God's mark, of God's seal. And what is God's seal? His commandments in your heart. Amen? I will write my commandments in your heart. I will put them in your mind. I will put them in your actions. They will be in you. And there comes the beast. Wait a minute. He has a mark. I have a mark. Now listen to what the Bible says about the mark of the beast here in Revelation 14. Uh, we talked about Revelation 14, these three final messages that will go into all the world before Jesus comes. The third of those messages, here found in verse 9 to 12, listen to what it says. This is, this is one of the greatest warnings in the entire Bible. Listen to what it says. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast, and that's a key word, because my friends, in the end, it's all about who will you worship? Will you worship God or will you worship a system that has set itself in the very place of God? That's the big question. So the third angel says, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. This, my friend, is a very, very strong warning not to receive the mark of the beast. It's like God is here using the very strongest language because he wants no one of us to receive the mark of the beast. It's like when a little child runs onto the road and there's a car coming. You don't stand there and say, hey, hey, please, please come back. You say, get out of the way, right? And so this is a strong message. Don't receive the mark of the beast because when you receive the mark of the beast, you will have no rest. And so that's a little clue there because if you don't have the mark of the beast but the seal of God, you have rest. Just keep that in mind. You have rest. Listen to what it says. Here is the patience of the saints. So here are those that don't receive the mark of the beast. Listen to what they have. Here's the patience of the saints. Here are those who what? Keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. My friends, there are two groups of people in the last days of earth's history. Those that receive the mark of the beast and those that have no rest and those that have rest because they keep the commandments of God and they have faith in Jesus Christ. They have the faith of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So two groups, two groups, the seal of God and the mark of the beast. The seal of God are those that have received the commandments of God, written in their hearts, written in their lives. Look at what it says here. Again, the question, who will you worship? Isaiah 8 verse 16 says, bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. These are God's, God's own words. He says, you know what? Seal the law, my law, my commandments, among my disciples. The world will know those that follow me because they will keep my commandments. Not in our own strength, but in the power of Jesus. God will give us the power to live a life that puts the commandments of God on display and that shows what true faithfulness actually means. Amen? Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. Listen to Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12, because there is specifically in the heart of God's law and the heart of his commandments, a commandment that specifically deals with what it means to rest in God. Amen? Ezekiel 20, verse 12, Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. So God says, you know what the sign is that, I, that you are mine and I am yours and that we have a covenant together? The sign of that is the Sabbath. Now, it's, of course, all of the commandments, all ten of them, but specifically that commandment right there in the heart, the fourth commandment, is a picture of who we worship. Think about it this way. A person that does not worship God altogether, you know, that, that, that do, is not interested in anything that has to do with this book, can still decide not to steal. Are you with me? Can still decide not to murder, right? You can be an atheist and not steal and not murder, right? And, and, and yet, which commandment, particularly in Scripture, points and reveals who we worship? It is the fourth commandment, the Sabbath commandment, right? Right? As a matter of fact, put it this way, a, uh, a corpse keeps eight of the commandments. Doesn't steal, doesn't murder, doesn't commit adultery, has no other gods, no idols, doesn't speak any word in vain. Right? Doesn't covet, but he doesn't honor his father and his mother and he doesn't keep the Sabbath. <laughs> Those are the two commandments that are pro action Right, and so, in other words, uh, all of the commandments will testify who you follow, but it's specifically the fourth commandment, because it shows who you worship. I keep the seventh day Sabbath because I worship the Creator God that created all things. Amen. This is a sign between uh, God and us. Ezekiel chapter twenty, verse twenty: Hallow my Sabbaths, and they will be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God powerful. Now then, my friends, it is very, very simple. If the seal of God is his commandments, specifically the Sabbath, but all of them, but showing in the Sabbath who we actually worship, then the mark of the beast, again, is merely a counterfeit of God's truth. He's trying to counterfeit everything. Oh, God has a special day? I'll have a special day. And the Catholic Church themselves claim, the beast claims, that the transfer from Sabbath to Sunday is the showing forth to the world that they have authority above the Bible. And that the transfer of that is the the very proof of that fact. Remember, Sunday is our mark of authority, the church is above the Bible, and this transference of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. Of course the Catholic Church claims that the change was her act, and the act is a mark of her ecclesiastical power and authority in religious matters. Now, now you're thinking to yourself, now when is this really, really, really going to take shape? Well, it's already relevant for us today. We need to know these things so that we can decide who we follow. But the Bible shows us in prophecy that there will come a time that the image of the beast will again rise up and that the second beast of prophecy, the United States, will give power to the first beast of prophecy, the Vatican or the papacy, and again, enforce its laws. Now, that has not finally happened yet. We're living in a world where we're seeing this coming all together, but on the horizon, on the horizon, we're gonna see a repetition of history where, again, there is a stately power that enforces a religious system, just like the time of the Dark Ages. And what was going to happen is that the papacy is going to enforce a national day of rest. You know, in order to unite everyone together, we're going to unite on a day of worship. Now, you know, this has happened in the past, by the way, during the Roman Empire. Do you know how the Roman emperors united their empire? They said, you know, oh, we have all these different people of all these different nationalities, of all these different backgrounds, but you know how we're going to unite them all together? The worship of the emperor. And so during the first centuries of Christianity, there was one thing that everyone had to do, and that was worship the emperor. And you could worship whatever you wanted to do. The Jews could worship their god, the Greeks could worship their god, and, and, and the Egyptians could worship their god. It didn't really matter. But as long as you burned a little bit of incense to the Caesar, you were okay. That was what brought Christianity into a problem because the Christians, they would go through towns and they would line up the people and say, burn a little incense to Caesar and you're okay and everyone would do it. The Christians rejected that because they said, no, we worship the Lord Jesus. And that was what brought on the persecution. Because they did not unite in this great effort to unite the empire under the worship of the emperor. Now, what's going to happen in the last days? There's going to come this power, this church power. is going to say, we're going to unite everyone. How are we going to do that? In a national day of rest, a national day of worship, Sunday worship. Now, in Europe, we're already seeing the leading up to these events. Um, the Vatican is working hard to stop Sunday shopping in Italy. Um, The Roman Catholic Church, trade unions and small businesses associations have joined forces in a bid to save Sundays. The issue extends beyond Italy. In Brussels, dozens of religious groups, including the Catholic Church, unions and businesses associations from 27 countries have formed the European Sunday Alliance to lobby the European Union to keep Sunday as a continent-wide day of rest, at least in principle. Uh, Johanna Tozel, the Alliance's spokeswoman said that setting Sunday aside is not necessarily a religious issue and not um, uh, discriminatory towards Jews and Muslims. We need one day when everyone can rest. This is the origin of Shabbat and in fact even Muslim organizations support us. Now this movement is, 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 is coming in it from different angles. Some are saying, well, we just, need, you know, we just need a common day of rest, and others have other agendas for this. But ultimately, the Catholic Church has an agenda to keep Sunday holy, to bring together the worship of all nations to itself. And my friends, this is happening in Europe. There's the beginnings of this also in the United States of America. It's interesting how the ecumenical movement is growing in the United States. Churches are coming together. Let's, let's break down the barriers. Let's just become one, but that one That unity, again, must be upon the word of God. But sadly, a lot of the times that we find these ecumenical movements joining together, it is under the unity of the mother church, the papal church. My friends, Bible prophecy is is, is coming to pass before our very eyes. And very, very soon, we're going to see that the mark of the beast is, is going to become a very real issue that we're all going to face Am I saying that people that are keeping Sunday today have the mark of the beast? That's not what I'm saying. I hope you're not misunderstanding me. But what I am saying is that there will come a time very near in the near future that this second beast, the United States of America, along with many other nations in the world, will uplift the first beast, the papacy, and that the papacy will enforce a national day of rest, and it will become a test for everyone, whether or not they follow the dictates of man or whether they follow the plain revealed scripture of God. And that's why in these last moments of earth's history, there's a a message that goes forth into all the world, a message to come back and to worship the creator God and to worship him on the very day that he appointed the seventh day Sabbath. And so as this message comes to each one of us, we all have a decision to make. And maybe for many of you, it is, it is, it is revealing that, that, that you're keeping the wrong day right now. But don't be, don't be angry about that. Be happy that the Lord is revealing you truth from his word, amen? And you can make a decision for Christ and say, I want to not keep the day of man. I want to keep the day of the Lord. Because through this, we show that we are loyal to the one that made us. Amen? Amen. This is a message that will go forth. And it is a message that is even going forth right now. John 16 verse 33. As we come to the close of this evening's presentation, Jesus said the following: These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer; I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome. You and I don't need to be afraid of this message. When the Bible says that that all will worship the beast and those that don't receive uh, that don't worship him, you know that they will be that they will be persecuted. We don't have to be afraid of that because we can remember in Scripture there are many examples and stories of men that stood firm for God and they were protected in the fiercest of circumstances, amen? God had his protection upon them and God will have his protection upon his people in these last days of earth's history and you and I can be sure of that. Jesus says, this is the last Scripture we will read. Therefore, in Matthew 7, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. My friends, tonight, you can make the decision that you will will take that life of yours and that you will like a house that you will put it right upon that rock, Jesus Christ. That's the best foundation that you could ever have. Amen? At this time, I want to ask our ushers to share out a card because this evening, I don't want want us to just look at the theory of all of this, but I also want us to look together at how this can be part of our experience in these very times in which we're living. Because as we're studying Bible prophecy, there is a blessing in Bible prophecy that is given to each one of us. And I don't want any of us tonight to lose out on that blessing. I don't want any of us to to just go home and say, oh, that was an interesting interesting presentation, and uh, we just go on with our lives. I want us to come and say, hey, you know what? This, this can actually change the way I live, because I want that blessing of the seventh-day Sabbath. I want that gift of God. I want to experience what he has in store for me. I don't want any system to take that away from me. I don't want any church to take that away from me. I don't want any person to take that away from me. I want to experience a friendship with my maker, which is God himself. And so as you receive that card, we're just going to walk through this together. Three simple things, three simple steps tonight. And if you have a pen, you can take it out. Maybe we have a couple of pens that we can make available here. This is a decision that is not a decision that you're making because of me or because of anyone else it's really a decision that is between you and your savior jesus christ and the first point on the card very simply says through god's power i desire to live in obedience to his law and uh, the law of god are beautiful promises that have been given to you and to me to live a prosperous spiritual life in Him. And we're not saying that, I'm not saying here that you're doing it in your own power, but read very correctly what it says here, through God's power. God is the one that writes the commandments in your heart. So through God's power, if you desire to live in obedience to His law, you can just check off that first point. You say, yes, I want to live in obedience to God's law, through His power. Amen? And then point number two. It is clear to me that the true Bible Sabbath is the Saturday, and I choose to lovingly obey Him by keeping His holy day. There's a lot of confusion in the Christian world today, and uh, the majority is, has bought into the custom of Sunday sacredness, Sunday worship, And yet the Bible reveals and history reveals and prophecy reveals that God has set aside the seventh day, Saturday, the Sabbath of the Lord. This might be very new for you tonight, but you can make that decision. You know what? I want to lovingly follow my Creator and the revelation that He has given to me in His Word. If that's your decision, you can check off that. And you might wonder, well, what does it mean to keep the seventh day Sabbath? I had a discussion today with Pastor Samuel about this. It's actually very simple. There are actually just four simple steps. You know, the Sabbath is all about spending time with Jesus. Amen? So if you desire to spend time with Jesus, you know, that is, the, that is what the Sabbath really revolves around. To be with Jesus. And, and, and Jesus tells us, and God tells us through the commandments, that in order to spend sacred time with him, quality time with him, we are not to be distracted by the things of this world. And that's why the commandment says, thou shalt not work. Six days you can do all your work, but the seventh day you shall not work. And so spending time with Jesus, number one, not working. The seventh day Sabbath is not a day for work. It's a day to lay aside our work so we can spend time with God. And logically, not making others work for us. You know, it said it already in the commandment. Don't make your servant work for you. Uh, Don't make others work for you. Don't go shopping in the mall and let everyone else work for you on the Sabbath. No, it is a day that you don't work and you don't let others work, but you spend that time with Jesus. And then finally, fellowship with believers. Fellowship with like-minded believers. Come together. Don't despise the gathering of the saints on that day. So these are just four simple steps. Desire Jesus. Be, Be in his presence. Don't work, don't make others work, but gather together with like-minded believers to keep that day and to receive the blessing that God has in store for you. You might think, well, you know, I have a job, I, I work on Sabbath, I don't know how that's going to work for me. Let me share you a very short story here. I was in New Zealand a few years ago, and I met a couple, and they came to these presentations and, and they learned about the Seventh-day Sabbath, and they were so excited, they say, we want the blessing of the Sabbath, but he had a job and he worked on Saturday. And he said you know what what i'll do is um yeah i i i want to i want to change that but but i don't know how to do it he said i really don't know how to do it and we prayed together with him and he was afraid because he thought if i go to my boss and i say that i want saturday off i could lose my job he said i said well you go in faith believing that god will fulfill his promise and he said okay i'll do that and he went to his he went to his boss and he says i you know, I, I, he explained exactly what happened, that he had seen from the scriptures that the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord, and he did not want to work that day. His boss simply said to him, think about it and come back tomorrow. And he said it kind of strict. Think about it and come back tomorrow. He thought, this is gone. I've lost my job, he thought. He went back home and he prayed. But the Lord convicted him, this is what you need to do. And so he, he determined, it was a struggle that night, and he couldn't sleep. And he said, oh, it was so hard. But he made the decision to be faithful to God rather than to man. And so he went back to his his boss the next day and he said, You know, I'm going to keep the seventh day Sabbath. And you know what his boss said? His boss said, Okay, that's fine. And he got a promotion, a much better job in the factory, in, in the company he was working with, and he got Sabbaths off. God is faithful. What do you say? So you might think, I-, I don't see how this is going to work out in my life. Step out in faith, and God will provide the way. And let me say this as well. Even if he does not provide the way, it's still worth it. Amen? Remember the, the three friends of Daniel? They said to Nebuchadnezzar, we're not going to bow down to that image. You can p- throw us into the fire, and-, and God will come through. But even if he doesn't, you, you better know we're not going to bow down. So Faithfulness, my friends, is at the very heart of this, and God will provide, just as He provided manna for the for, for the for the Hebrews in the in the wilderness. So He will provide for you and for me. You can step out in faith. And final, the final point on the card number three: I would like a personal visit. Maybe there's something that you want to talk about. Maybe something you're wondering about. Maybe a lot of questions in your mind right now about some of the things that you've been hearing. If you would like a visit, you can you can check that off. Uh, Fill in your name and address and make sure you leave these cards with with, um, the ushers in the back because we want to pray for you. We want to help you in these decisions because we know that time is short. Jesus is coming and we need to make decisions for him so that we can be ready when he comes that day. God has a blessing in store for each one of you. And I don't want anyone, anyone to miss out on that great blessing and that great promise of his seventh day Sabbath. So you fill in those cards, and please give them uh, to the ushers as, as we go out tonight. And I want to have a special word of prayer this evening. As we consecrate ourselves to the Lord, we are living in solemn times, very exciting times, in times that we need to follow the Lord wherever He leads. And we can be part of that final generation that will reveal the character of God to a world in need. And I pray that each one of us in this room may be part of that. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for this evening. We want to thank you for being with us. Thank you for Bible prophecy. And thank you for Jesus that has died for us, that rose for us, and that is ministering even right now for us in the heavenly sanctuary. And thank you that one day soon he will come back. And Lord, we want to be faithful. We want to reveal to the world around us, that we belong to you. And you told us, Lord, that you will sanctify us through your commandments, through your Sabbath. And I pray, Lord, that we may experience the blessing that you have in store for each one of us as we walk in obedience to your law. Thank you so much for bringing us here. Thank you so much for your word. And we pray and ask these things in your beautiful and almighty name, in the name of Jesus, let everyone say, amen.